welcome back to another episode of What the HR, an award-winning podcast. I'm Jesse Novi. And I'm Mike Toole. The What the HR podcast explores how to build people-centric businesses through modern practices and approaches. New episodes are released frequently, so don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform so you don't miss any episodes. Welcome back to another episode of What the HR. Today, we're lucky enough to be joined by Angel Henry. Angel is the author of Dense in the Ceiling, Tools Women and Allies Need to Break Through. It's a book that provides a firsthand account of 30-plus women of color working in tech and corporate America, experiencing and navigating sexism, racism, bullying, forging allies, and rebounding resiliency throughout their careers. The book has sold thousands of copies and is a 2022 Book Excellence First Place Award winner. Angel is also the Senior Director of the Transformation Value Management Office and DEI Vice Chair at Genesis, which is a software company that sells customer experience and call center technology to 10,000 plus businesses in 100 plus countries. And Angel has over 20 years of IT experience, primarily in the pharmaceutical and healthcare industries, and 15 plus years in the project management discipline. So as you can see, she's got quite the resume. Um, again, we were incredibly fortunate to have her on our podcast episode today. We really hope that you enjoy the conversation as much as we did. If you are loving our podcast episodes and guests, we really encourage you to go out and leave not only a rating, but also a review on your favorite podcast platform. Doing both of those things really helps ensure that our podcast episodes are getting out to other HR professionals and business leaders that could benefit from our incredible guests and our incredible topics. So thanks again for being a What the HR listener and enjoy today's episode. All right. Well, Angel, welcome to the What the HR podcast. We're really happy and thrilled uh, to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. Um, so we, you know, we gave a more formalized bio at the beginning of the podcast, but I would love for you to maybe build upon that by sharing a little bit more with our listeners on um, your book, um, the work that you're doing, maybe just a little bit more that you would want to share to give um, your bio a little bit more context. Absolutely. So, um, well, first off, uh, most people know me as the Agile Mindset Expert and Ceiling Breaker. And uh, that nomenclature came from uh, the book that I wrote uh, um, around how we are making dents in the ceiling, but not quite shattering it the way that we would love to as uh, women in the workforce. And uh, the book serves two audiences, right? It's all about women and how the experience, our experience of being, um, you know, gender uh, as well as um, racial, ethnic, cultural, um, under underrepresented populations in corporate America, right? So there's all kinds of layers in there, and I go to unpack that. Uh, around our personal lived experiences, because quite honestly, most people don't know because we're silent. That's what that's what I found out from the research is that many women are experiencing microaggressions, discrimination, sometimes overt sexual harassment, and just simply aren't talking about it. 
uh, I tell everybody the the biggest aha moment for me was I went to go interview a woman for the book and I was and she was like, oh, Angel, I'm so sorry. I really don't have any stories or anything to tell you. My you know journey in corporate America has, has been pretty good. And I'm like, that's wonderful. Please do share. I know about a hundred other women that would love to hear how you've managed a career that has that has gone so well. And at the end of the discussion, 20 minutes in, she goes, oh, wait a second. I think I do have something, that, a story I can share with you. And honestly, Jess, Mike, it was the most overt piece of discrimination that you could come up with. I mean, to the point where I had to ask her, do you have a lot? Did you like sue the organization? And she's like, no, I just left and moved on and went somewhere else. And I was just flabbergasted because she honestly had forgot that it happened to her. So that's the, you know, the layer of, you know, once folks are sharing their story, we got to get it out there, but I had to tell them what to do. Right. So that's the other pieces, uh, allies, those that are sitting in a place of position, those that are, you know, NHR supervisors, EVPs, VPs, they have some sort of, um, authority and accountability to set the culture and the tone of their organization. Once they read about these stories and realize that this could be happening in my organization, I need to know what to do about it. So that's how that's why I help them. Mm-hmm. That's incredible, and I'm I'm excited about the uh, serendipitous timing of of our conversation today because as we were talking prior to recording. We are catching up a little bit on your book and then specifically Angel Speaking, which is your company and the work that you're doing there and how that work has evolved as a result of, you know, the book and some feedback that you've received. So could you share a little bit about that and where Angel Speaking is today? Absolutely. So um, the book launched a few years ago and it was we Angel Speaking was really focused on helping women get what we call ceiling shattering tools um, to help navigate these non-inclusive workspaces. But what we found out was that the quite quite a large group of supervisors that were mostly um, Caucasian, middle-aged men, heterosexual, were open and willing to be supportive and to have the hard conversations. They just had no clue how to do it. And so they were scared that they were going to trip an HR violation. And they just were not touching it with a 10-foot pole. Um, The best example that I personally witnessed was a VP would go out to lunch randomly with his male direct reports. He had one female, uh, African-American female direct report, but he would never invite her to lunch. And it got to the point where it was so egregious that she finally had to say something to him. And when she did, he's like, there's no way I would go out to lunch with you. Like, no, I'm married. She's like, this has nothing to do with anything personal. This is a work lunch. And it's fine if you don't want to go out with me independently. But when you go out with with the rest of the guys, I'm a part of the team. This is a team lunch, right? But he wasn't looking at it that way. From his perspective, it was a personal lunch that he was, you know, personally spending his dime on one or two, you know, guys that were on the team that maybe they go have golf or go out and do something informally. So this was personal from his point of view. He didn't see that it was work-related. And, and 
when he was confronted, it came down to the, I don't know how to have lunch with, with a female colleague or a female direct report and it not look a certain way. And so that, that story is hard as it is because we all know that, that, that the relationship that he was cultivating with his male staff was absolutely playing into who he was going to promote, who he was going to provide a stretch opportunity for, because it's about comfortability level. And I don't say that as a bad thing. When you're in middle management and you're being tapped on the shoulder to promote somebody or, or, you know, Hey, is there somebody on your team that can run with this project? There is an element of subjectivity in that you do want to be comfortable with that person being able to perform. Right. Um, And when you only know one dimension of them, which is the nine to five and how they are at work and how they are in, in that, that work setting, it provides a more well-rounded view when you have a close, comfortable connection with them, when you've, you know, you've gone out to drinks or, you know, that's why the networking and and the informal mentorship programs are there because there are, they are of value. And so when you, when you have these layers built in to where some people are getting this exposure and some are not, it really does behoove the organization to create and cultivate ways where we can support this. And that's why angel speaking is so, um, uh, the work that we're doing is so important because we're all about quick action oriented, result oriented, time boxed implementation, micro, what we like to call micro learnings for supervisors to get the information and practice it with their, with their immediate staff. Um, for two to three weeks, and then we, you know, course correct, give feedback, and keep going. Um, so I think, you know, just Mike, with um, with everything that we have going on in the workplace, multi generational um, staff, um, you know, folks being encouraged to bring their whole authentic selves to work, and what all that might mean. Um, we've got different communication styles, leadership styles. There's a lot for a manager or supervisor to navigate. And um, and I think HR needs some help with how we can uh, support those managers in doing that. Mm-hmm. So I want to back up a little bit and talk a little bit about why you decided to write the book. Um, I don't know if there were certain experiences that led you to do that, but I'd love to hear kind of your story on like why you decided to write that book. Yeah, um, I so my background is IT, uh, IT project manager, kind of grew up the ranks in pharma, healthcare. I did a stint in infrastructure, um, but I you know considered myself a tech girl and not a writer, <laughs> um, and it was a uh, part of my uh, executive uh, coaching program that I was in. So, so picture this: I'm in I'm in the Midwest in Indianapolis, Indiana. I was searching for a particular executive coach that could identify with me. So, an African American female um, who could who could coach me. Now, the funny part, the sad funny part, is that we found someone. It was the perfect program. She was in Atlanta. So my my company was literally sending me to Atlanta every other month for this program, right? Um, so I could get the the coaching and training along with you know twenty nine other women in my cohort, and um and so one of the reasons obviously I wanted to to birth Angel Speaking is that the Midwest 
um, absolutely needs that. So because um, not everyone has the travel budget to do that. And that was, you know, a little bit pre-COVID. Uh, so one night, Mike, she I was sharing with her um, how I was feeling bullied by the new VP. And um, it was the first time I had used that word. Any other time I had just said pressure, or uncomfortable, but I used the B word. I was like, no, I think he's bullying me into making decisions that I'm not comfortable in making. And I need to figure out a way to you know, work with this man, but communicate to him some appropriate boundaries. And I said, I'm really hesitant in doing so because I know I got a lot of baggage from my previous company that I just left. And I don't want to bring that into this relationship with this new company. So I'm not sure how to navigate that. And her advice was, well, just just write about it. Just journal it. And I was thinking to myself, like, Mike, I got I got a whole job (laughs) managing an entire global team, two kids. Um, (laughs) I'm traveling back and forth. You know, like I got the whole deck going on, you know, vice president of this board of that. And I was like, I don't have time to journal, but he, he, he pushed my buttons. I journaled and I couldn't stop. I started probably about 10 o'clock that night. I couldn't stop. And, mm-hmm. um, and it just kind of sort of came into themes and those themes led to chapters. And I'm like, I think I got something here. Can you talk a little bit about those themes? You gave that, that one yes. example of uh, the male you know, VP who didn't, take his colleague out to lunch. I'm sure you have, I mean, uh, there are a lot of examples like that, but I want to hear like some of the themes and maybe some of the surprises that you found as you wrote the book. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, What, how, how I did with the the research with the other women as I, it was serendipitous. I just, I talked to somebody and it led to something else. And I ended up working with the lady in research at Spelman university and guess what she was doing? Mike, she was researching African-American women in corporate America. And I'm like, okay. so my name got on the listserv of, hey, if you happen to be a woman in corporate America in tech, um, this lady named Angel wants to talk to you. And I ended up on some listserv and I I started having women call me saying, hey, I hear you want to hear about my experience. And I'm like, okay. so I just asked them kind of four basic questions to say, you know, hey, have you had a negative experience? And every single one of them talked about the themes uh, range from. Um, microaggressions, uh, being the only, you know, what it's like, the pressure it is to be the only woman or and or only woman of color at mm-hmm. a senior ranking position, right, on the executive team or in the C-suite at your company. Um, sexual harassment was one. One of the sub-themes that I found for me personally that was sad was the amount of women who had experienced sexual harassment from other African-American men and how that emotionally and mentally for me personally reminded me of the Anita Hill, Clarence Thomas proceedings that happened when I was a kid and it brought all of that back. Um, Another um, big theme was around being treated like the maid. So through my research, I found a lot of women, regardless of their position, uh, are asked to do the PowerPoint slides 
or you know do the fun stuff, the team building things for for the team. And although that's fun, and baking cookies and cupcakes to for your staff is no big deal, and you know that's a way to team build. Quite honestly, that's not going to get you the COO position, right? right. <laughs> so, um, so they've kind of become the mom of the team, which uh, does not serve them when it comes to a career progression standpoint. And so the funniest, one of the funny, sad, funny stories, Mike, was you'll love this one. The, um, a lady walks in, think of a huge conference room with literally hundreds of people, cybersecurity. So this is the, this is like, you know, the the deepest level of non-inclusivity when it comes to tech, right? You have different layers of tech. Um, cybersecurity and data uh, data centers and um, data analytics are kind of the two that are extremely uh, non-inclusive. So you're walking into the cybersecurity conference with hundreds of hundreds of people, and the African-American woman walks up to the table, and the white gentleman turns around and says, um, hey, can you get me a cup of coffee? And oh, she's no. like, me? Okay. She was, and she she said she didn't think much of it because she was on her way to get herself a cup of coffee too. She was coming to the table to put her things down, and she was turning to go get herself a cup of coffee. He wants one, sure, why not? So she gets two cups, brings it back, sits it down. They sit down. She's chatting with the people at the table. The lady walks up to on the dias to introduce the keynote speaker. She is the keynote speaker. Wow. So she says he turns to her completely red face and was like, "Oh my." God, why didn't you tell me who you were? I would have never asked you to get coffee. And she's like, well, sir, more importantly, why did you ask me out of all the people sitting around here to get you the coffee? Right. Yeah. Not all the people walking by, clearly staff members are walking, you know, the staff dressed in all black, who you would ask to get coffee. Why would you ask me? I'm not dressed in all black. I don't, I clearly visually don't look like I work here, but yet you asked me why. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, mouth open. And then she says, ironically, as as she concludes, he's meeting her at the end of the stage to profusely apologize. And they ended up connecting and it and it being um, an ongoing relationship. So that's that's a really great story and a cool ending. And it, it actually brings me right to the next thing I wanted to ask you was in the beginning. And I don't I don't think we'd hit record, but we were talking about. You know, there's 20% of people out there or companies out there that just don't want to be better. Um, you know, let's probably not waste our time in that area, but you want to focus on the 80% that do. Uh-huh. Somewhat like the gentleman in that story that probably didn't know maybe why he did what he did, but obviously felt very bad about it, wanted to reconcile it. Those are the people that I think you're out to help. So I'd love to hear more about how specifically you're you're helping in those areas of kind of I would say bringing things to light and bringing in ideas that maybe people need in order to get past whether or not they're scared to talk about this stuff or just simply don't know how to deal with it. You got it. Okay, so we're going to hit three things super quick. Um, So for your listeners out there, if you are in HR or um, a chief diversity officer in that in that office, um, if you are struggling with these change initiatives, we, we don't even, we won't even have to say inclusive. We don't even have to say DEI. just change initiatives, meaning how do I get my leaders trained to do their job? And you're struggling with that because you're competing against, you know, 
year in, quarter in, um, sales targets, go-to-market strategies, right? All these all these change initiatives that are going on in the business, you're you're struggling with how do we get people management as strategic an initiative as all the other bottom line right type initiatives work related initiatives that um that people see so how we embed that is through the agile mindset framework okay so again you guys have to remember i have an it background and i love agile that's how i became uh, known as the agile expert and i really take it's a methodology by the way agile is an it methodology so i take the the principles the core understanding of how your brain needs to work in order to implement, in order to make change. And I still it I distill it down to four steps. Okay. So the how is in the framework. The first step is let's create a list of priorities, business priorities and objectives. And we're gonna we're gonna match our people management to those objectives. Okay. So a business objective is to um, grow a new market or a new unit. Okay, great. You know, you're going to need people for that. Well, who are the people that you're going to get? Ah, now we can think inclusive, right? Now I can absolutely come up with an objective of how we're going to create a diverse candidate pool in order to staff this new business unit we want to put together. So right now we have a business objective tied to a people objective. Okay, step one. Step two, which is the hardest step for people, just Mike, can I tell you, we we can go round and round on this one. And I, I force them, but it's the hardest step. Step two is prioritize. Everybody wants to have a number one priority. It's like, okay, you got, you got five things on this list. Which one is number one? You can never get to what to rank a rank order, right? It's, well, they're all important. No, no. Which one is the most important? So step two is prioritize. Step three, which is my favorite, time box. I'm only going to give you two, maybe three weeks if you talk me into it and get me a Starbucks drink. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll give you three, maybe. So two to three weeks to get something done. What is one action step that we can get done, 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 put a bow on it, uh, that is going to move the needle towards that objective that we just listed? And then finally at the end, which is the one people like to skip, um, is we're going to do a retrospective. And that fourth step is just a fancy term for lessons learned. We're going to take 20, maybe 30 minutes max and unpack what just happened in that two to three weeks. What do we want to leave to say, oop, that did not work? And what do we want to keep going? Because what we found is that people really struggle with opportunity cost. Once they get an idea and once they start down a path, they, they hate to let it go. They'll hang on to that bad idea and they're like, well, we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Sometimes you got to throw the baby out with the bathwater and they don't want to do it. And so this provides an opportunity to say, hey, look, you've only invested a couple of weeks in it and we found out it wasn't a good idea or didn't work. That's OK. Let's take the lessons learned um, from what didn't work and do something different. So so allowing for a small time investment or small cost investment allows people to easily let go of things that aren't working. And so then you just build on that momentum, right? As things are, are going on, you just you repeat that four-step model until you complete your objective. And uh, so that's the how. 
And the what is all of those objectives in terms of training supervisors. Again, I talked about those micro learnings, training supervisors on how to um, move their, their typical quarterly or monthly goal setting down to um, weekly or, or monthly at the most, but have it, but have it be involved with their team members. No longer are we just like coming up from on high as senior leaders and telling our people what to do, right? We're really trying to get them to practice servant leadership. Um, and there's a whole host. And I'll, I'll actually send this to you so your, your guests will have it. It's like a little checklist to say, here's what we're moving from. We're going to shift from kind of the traditional way of how we have supervisors leading to a more inclusive way. That's all about servant leadership, empathic communication, um, having them check their bias, because we all have it. If you have a brain, you have bias. I have mm-hmm. bias. Um, Jess, I'll be honest with you. If an African-American female who graduated from the University of IT, who's got two kids, who has an IT background uh, in project management, comes asking me for any doggone thing, I'll I'll probably oblige, right? <laughs> um, because we like to help people who remind us of ourselves. Mm-hmm. So we all have affinity or a bias towards helping certain people. The problem, though, is that we have to learn to bring awareness to that bias and then be intentional about breaking it. Um, and then lastly, I, which I really just, I could spend a whole hour on this topic. Mentorship is great and there is absolutely a place for it and we need it. But if we're going to if we're going to move the needle and getting to true inclusive leadership at the executive ranks in our companies, we're going to have to have a sponsorship program. Have to. And people often interchange the two between mentorship and and sponsorship. And so Angel speaking really um, distills down sponsorship and makes it really plain of here's how you go around about finding protégés to sponsor. And here's here's the language and the actual doing that you need to do in order to sponsor them. And the best example that I have is a lot of people like to make recommendations or refer somebody. So Mike, you might you know have a conversation with me and you're like, wow, Angel has a phenomenal background in IT and DE&I and all in leadership training. Man, I think she would be great to work with, um, you know, I don't know, let's say um, the CMO over at Google, because, Mike, you got that connection for me. I know you do. Um, <laughs> I'm just going <gonna laughs> to put that it. out there in the atmosphere, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and so you're like, hey, I think, hey, Angel, I think you should talk to um, you know, Frank Lindsay over um, at Google. And I'm like, okay, great. Um how do I get in touch with him? What's his email? What do I say? Um, Do I just say you sent me, right? Like it leaves me in a position of I got to go fish for (laughs) this connection where Mike, as a true sponsor, what you would do is send an email Mm -hmm. hyping me up saying how great I am and how I can, you know, solve the world with this agile mindset framework that I have here and how it could help solve a problem that you heard uh, Frank talk about and make that connection, right? That that's a true sponsorship activity that we actually have to tell people to do because they don't think to do it. They think they're sponsoring somebody just by saying, Hey, I, I recommend you and I'll go send you that way. 
It's like, mm-hmm. no, no, you, you gotta, you gotta put some skin in the game and, and per, put your name behind somebody else's mm-hmm. in order to get them to the next level. And, and just honestly, that's harder to do when you have all these different layers of separation, like gender and race and ethnicity and lived experience and educational background, when you start layering in those identities, the further and further away we are from each other, the harder it is for folks to feel comfortable to to truly sponsor because they just like, we just don't know. So we have to yeah. solve for that by, by getting them connected and getting them comfortable enough to where they can be active sponsors for people that are that are different than them. You, the sponsorship example that you gave was really good when thinking about it from um, sponsoring somebody that maybe doesn't work in your organization that you're just connecting with to help provide opportunities anywhere they could be. Um, I would love for you to share an example of sponsorship within an organization because I've also seen that not done well, um, whether it be kind of something that's very similar to the example that you gave where the person's not really clear on what their expectations are as a sponsor or they don't feel like they they aren't putting as much skin in the game or uh, personally, and maybe I'm even maybe I'm even answering the question that I'm asking you is I believe sponsorship in an organization is not just the job of the sponsor. It is the job of the entire executive team. So you have your one sponsor that's like your ally and that's giving you the visibility, but not one person can help elevate an individual. It has to be a collective. So I would love for you to either agree or disagree with me on that and then maybe provide some other examples internally? Oh, no, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, so I, I will start with that. Uh, only because if you are um, from an underrepresented population, you're lucky if you have a sponsor. You're even luckier if you know who that sponsor is, because most people don't. Um, and think about, Jesse, exactly what you just said how tenuous it is to have just one sponsor. If that person retires, they go to a completely different business unit. Um, they, they themselves have lost some social or political capital to where they're no longer in a position to be able to help anybody else because they're barely hanging on themselves. Um, if you just have that one person and that one person is no longer available to you, you're at zero now. So you're spot on having a team of people who are sponsoring someone and, and looking out for their career progression and growth and giving them the feedback that they need to continue to grow is critical. That way it's not down to just one person. Um, but what what I tell people is if most most people have, and if not, you can probably Google the little snapshot. But if if you were listening to this and you have had the opportunity to see the phenomenal movie Hidden Figures, um, it sponsors, uh, it it highlights um, a very well known actress Taraji P Henson, one of my favorite, um, and she is working at NASA and is really working blindly. They have didacted all of this information from these papers that she's supposed to be doing calculations on. Um, so she's got no context the, as, in terms of the fact of what project she's working on. So big problem, number one, right? Um, another problem is that there are strategic 
conversations and meetings happening that she is barred from participating in. And the information that they're sharing directly applies to the work that she's doing. So she absolutely has a business reason and a need to be in these meetings, but she's excluded because of how she looks. So one of my favorite parts in the movie is when Kevin Cosner, her supervisor, um, comes to the door and looks and sees that she's sitting outside the door because she's waiting for somebody to come out to tell her this information. And so she can go back and do her work. And so he comes out, he sees she's out there and he's like, get in there, like, just let her in. And, you know, all the men are standing around, like, poised to stop her. And and he's kind of like, no, let her in. And that's the end of it. That is active sponsorship. How many doors can you open for someone else to let them in? So what that looks like is, who needs a bonus? Who needs a promotion? Who needs a stretch opportunity? Who needs to get increased visibility through um, presenting at the next town hall, right? Not all the talking heads need to have chief in front of their name in order to be up on the talking on, on the stage at the town hall. That's a phenomenal way to get visibility, right? Is to highlight a, have a round robin, right? Where the, um, uh, at some point in the town hall, um, an individual contributor or maybe a senior manager or some rising up and coming, you know, uh, up and coming uh, potential uh, leader has a spot for a 15, 10, 15 minutes to highlight a project or initiative that they're doing. Now, talk about sponsorship, right? You, you've, you've just got all eyes and ears on them and the work that they're doing. And um and and you've sponsored them in terms of the visibility as well as showcasing their talent, right? You've checked a lot of boxes there. So what we're proposing with Angel Speaking is not earth-shattering. It's not rocket science. It's just getting people very iteratively and incrementally inching towards progress. And that, in my personal opinion, one of one of the most effective ways to make large change initiatives stick and large change initiatives are overwhelming and require a huge lift and a huge time and cost investment. And they're often done wrong and they often don't last because we're not spending these, these short little time blips to pause and course correct along the way. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I'm so um, adamant about using this particular change management initiative to affect culture, because that's all we're talking about is culture change. We, we've right. done it this way. We've always had the chief fill in the blank, Grand Poobah, do the town hall. So now I'm talking about implementing a change to your agenda for your town hall. That's a change. And for some people that could wig people out to be like, oh, my gosh, we're going to have we're going to take a risk and have an individual contributor be up on the on the stage with our with our CEO. That could go badly. Well, if you give them a mentor, if you give them some training, if you review their slide deck. It probably won't be risky at all. Right. Oh, yeah. okay, we can do that. That's what we're talking about. So, and you mentioned culture, which kind of ties into, and I have a lot of questions I wrote down. We'll see how many we get to, but it feels like over the last, 
you know, three, four years, there's been a lot of attention on this and, you know, diversity and inclusion in the workforce. This is just my opinion. It seems to have slowed a little bit. Like, like they put it like there was a lot going into it and people really wanted to focus on this. It, and I think people aren't seeing the results that they wanted to see. And I don't know if that's that's true with you or what you've seen. Obviously, you've seen a lot more than I have with with writing the book and whatnot. But why did why if things have kind of stalled a little bit, right? Like, yeah, we brought it up, but that's obviously mm-hmm. not good enough. Like right. why where do you see those things stalling? Because you're shaking your head like you agree. Oh, I where are you seeing it? Agree. <laughs> yeah, where are you seeing it stall specifically and and yeah. why and and how can we work on it? Absolutely. Um, Mike, you're being kind by using the word stall. Um I I use the word you know, a, a, a chilling off to the point where it's freezing and I need a fair enough. Um, so, and to the point where we, we see, we've seen the backlash. So two points here, um, those of us that have been in this, in the change management space know well the arc of change management. And so we knew like, oh my gosh, this was a flash in the pan. The, the faster it goes up, the faster it's going to come crashing down. So the, the majority of just which we, we just whipped out our Apple watches and was like, well, let's see how long this is going to last. So we all knew that we had about if we were lucky, uh, we had we knew we had about three three year window. We knew that. And okay. so the majority uh, of us said, OK, well, what can we get done in three years? <laughs> like, let's go to it. Let's roll up our sleeves. And what can what progress can we make? And let me tell you, progress was made. Right. I mean. Uh, in the company that I was in, we spun up four ERGs in like, you know, a year, um, you know, global representation. So so a lot of organizations spun up a lot of grassroots initiatives that are continuing to go. They're just a slow burn. Right. Hmm. Um, and then what we've seen, obviously, from states like Florida and tech, te- Texas is the, you know, the major backlash, right? The, the recalling of affirmative action at the, um, at the higher educational level. So we're seeing the backlash of, um, again, this flash in the pan, this high spike in, in change initiatives, um, the catalyst happened. And so now it is absolutely time for, for those of us that are serious to roll up our sleeves and get to work with, those those slow burn initiatives that are able to keep going. How do we how do we keep sparking and lighting their fires so that they that they have the support, the tools, uh, the training, and the investment to keep going? And so the way that I encourage organizations to look at this is to shift their lens a bit and to look at this as just another business objective. Okay, this is just another way, another tactic that we are going to uh, increase our talent retention. This is another way that we're going to expand into new markets that we never thought about expanding into before. This is a way for us to increase our bottom line by pulling this lever that we're talking about being inclusive. And so it's not, it, it is inclusive of gender, race, ethnicity, um, uh, sexual orientation, but it is also, we're going to expand it, it is also inclusive of how do you think differently, different leadership styles, different communication styles, different generations, which is huge, right? Like, that's my favorite. I really want to focus on. We have, if companies can get this right, and we can we can 
educate supervisors on how to harness the power and the creativity and the innovative way that those that are experienced from baby boomers all the way to those that were born, it seems like, with a with a, a device in their hands. <laughs> if we can harness that collective power, thought power, what can we do and what what possibilities there are? Oh my goodness. So there's a lot of untapped potential out there when it comes to talent and creation and innovation that um if we if we fail to do so, if we fail to tap into that, if we fail to cultivate that environment, we will absolutely put in, be putting the organization in a potential position, and I hate to say it, to not just decline, but to completely go under and completely go out of business because guess what? Their competitors are doing it. If you're not doing it, your competitors are, and they will outperform you. It's just data, right? Yeah. The data's there. Yeah. Those that are that have more women on the boards, those that have um, LGBTQ diversity, neurodiversity, um, um, those from African American pop. When you when you bring all that together. Uh, from the board level and the executive level, all the way down to the individual contributor level, those organizations just outperform their competitors by a minimum of 30%. Mm -hmm. And they're going to keep going. They're not going to stop. Yeah. <laughs> so it becomes a business imperative. And I personally have a love for HR. And I don't believe that HR is being utilized to its full extent in order to help be the arm, be the catalyst to help supervisors get this right. Mm -hmm. uh, that's why Angel Speaking is born, is that's to come alongside HR teams that are understaffed, underfunded. Um, you know, they're 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 focused on workday implementations and EAP benefits and just, you know, operations and keeping the lights on. Oh, my gosh, I have a I have a rec here that's been open for three months. How do I fill it? They're they're dealing with the day to day, which is more than enough. Right. And they they weren't trained in this senior HR leaders. Uh, they you know, they didn't when they went to what we call HR school, um, they, were, they weren't trained in, in all, you know, all the different nuances um, that's that's going on here and the technicalities and legalities, you know, that especially if you're a global company um, that come up and and those of us at Angel Speaking, you know, that's our that's what we eat, sleep and breathe. That's what we do. Um, so bringing us alongside to be the arm to HR to really move the needle, I think, is the way to go. Um, and I, I just love supporting our HR and, and um, chief diversity officers because those that have a willingness, their biggest frustration, and I wrote it down here because I, I wanted to get it right, their biggest frustration is not enough support from senior leadership. And, the, 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 and I have a quote that says, lots of quote unquote lip service, but no real action. And so we're all about action. That's what the Agile Mindset Framework does. How do you get to action quickly so that a decision can be made to keep going or course correct? Yeah. Yeah, I really loved your answer around kind of things stalling out. But it the way that you put it is 
is almost optimistic. Like there was a lot of work done, right? Like you, I love how you talked about you guys, you knew that there was going to be this curve. And so you just want to pounce on that and do as much as you can. And now it's right. I looked at it as like, there's a, a big curve, it drops down and then another one, but it slowly keeps going up in, in the right direction. Um, yeah. Whereas I, when I, when I asked the question, it was almost, to me, it was like a glass half empty type of question. Like, okay, like all this work lost, but it's not like, I, I loved your answer around that. So yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's confirmation that what we're doing is right. If, if, yeah. if there were no objection, then it's like, well, obviously this is too vanilla and we're not ruffling any feathers, but we've, we certainly have seriously ruffled some pretty high up feathers to the point where, you know, now they're trying to enact laws and policies against the work that we're doing. Um, so that, that just proves to me like, no, keep going. That means yeah. you're, you know, you've got some opposition. That means that you're doing right. And, and for me personally, um, this is just human centered work. Like at the end of the day, all we do is teach people how to be human with each other, right. how to talk to each other. And we have been, unfortunately, in this country, been conditioned um, to to have these barriers and separation based on arbitrary layers of identity, right? Like, you know, what side of the tracks you live on or right. what school you went to or, um, you know, what color your skin is or your hair texture, your eye color. I mean, just stupid stuff. It's like, no, 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 no. Let's just break all that down and let me help you to re-engage with your fellow human being. Do you, and I don't know if you talked about this in the book or maybe with Angel speaking, and I'm, I'm, I'm wondering in a company that maybe was behind but really wanted to make a push and whether it's they, they promote, um, whether it's, it's a woman or a person of color, like making sure that they're really successful is, is going to be important. I think there's probably maybe a lot of pressure on that person as well. So I'm wondering if you talked about how to help with the pressure of that individual, but also as a company to make sure that, hey, you're going into a space that maybe you're not comfortable with or haven't done and making sure that you support the decision that you make and not just throw somebody in and say, hey, good luck, right? Yeah, I'm going to take a deep breath on that one, Mike. <laughs> um, it, it goes back to what Jesse said, or what, what Jess said, excuse me, uh, when she mentioned the team of sponsors that are needed, it's the exact same approach. Uh, when you, which is why this, the leadership training is so important for senior, for, for middle managers, we, we intentionally cultivate a group of people. So never would we ever send one supervisor through the paces. That would not be a good idea. They need a team of people to bounce each other, you know, like a cohort, if you will, of we're going to send 20, 30, 40, 50 supervisors through the Agile Mindset Framework together so that when they learn about sponsorship, to your point, Mike, oh, I see Frank has decided to sponsor Angel to be his next chief of staff. Oh, okay, God, I see what he's doing. So that when Angel starts getting flack in one of my meetings, oh, no, 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 no. You're not going to throw Angel under the bus. This is a new position for her. We're we're training her. I'm going to support her, right? It'll, it'll be very clear from the senior leadership yeah. perspective of we all are supporting this fill in the blank, right? So you you hit you hit the nail on the head because being the only or or being the token uh, representative 
it, it kind of feels like an experiment. Like, yeah. hey, we're going to try to promote somebody of color into this position that's that we never had a woman or a person of color in this position before. Let's try it out. That just feels all kinds wrong, right? Yeah. Instead, we shift people's thinking to, no, nah, this is not an experiment. And we're not tokenizing. What we're doing is creating and cultivating an environment where it's not just one angel, but it's multiple angels. That's one, right? Um, at the same time. So they have their own support system. And two, we're going to keep going. Like this is a shift that we are committed to making. And so through the framework, we're going to we're going to refine and figure out how to make it better. But we're going to keep doing this. This is an experiment. Mm -hmm. And oh, by the way, let me give you the language and the actions that it takes to continue to set someone up for success versus setting them up for failure. Because the moment you tokenize and 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 go out on the limb and put one person in a position and see how they do, it becomes this horrible sink or swim. And it it's going to negatively mess with their minds, right? Because yeah. they're thinking, I've got the weight of this on my shoulders and I got to perform and, and, you know, be stellar and perfect. I can't make a mistake because it's the weight of myself and and the class of people that look like me behind right. me. If yeah. I If I screw this up, I just closed the door for all of these hundreds of people behind me, right? So we're not going to do that. And oh, by the way, we're not going to do that to the supervisor who was uh, took that risk. And it's like, you know, I'm going to step out from the norm and promote somebody into a position who, you know, again, has, has never uh, somebody that looks like Angel that's never been in that position before. They're taking a risk and they're thinking the same thing, right? Like if this person doesn't perform and they don't get it right, I'll never be able to promote anybody like them again. So we we have to dispel that from the beginning. And the way that you do that is you bring in, a, you have a group of people going um, uh, that are being sponsored and you have a group of people that are being the sponsors and they have a support system where they can help each other. Yeah. And what would you say to an individual that maybe feels like they are put in this position as, as an experiment, as you put it? Um, you know, because it's it's got to be a really tough situation because it's something you want professionally, right? To do, mm -hmm. I mean, but maybe there's, and I'm sure it's happened. You probably talk to people where they they do maybe feel that way, where it's like, hey, I feel like it is an experiment, and I'm kind of getting thrown to the wolves here. Like, what what advice mm -hmm. would you have for that individual? Oh, I we got a whole coaching program for them. <laughs> um, it and it's all around. Um, it really takes you back to what's your purpose? What are you what are you there for? Right. And once we can really hone in on why they're there, then we can create we can create and cultivate a plan to help keep them well and keep them healthy. I call it I call it the stay well plan. Right. How do you stay in this environment where you're feeling the pressure, where you're feeling tokenized, where you're not getting the support that you need from senior leadership? Let's create and cultivate a plan to where we can change that to where we can where we can get creative about how you do get that support and you do get some of that pressure off um, because it does behoove you to stay and be well physically, mentally, emotionally, socially so that you can perform at your highest. That That's a win win for everyone. Right. So. But the key there is it takes support. It, it's going to take a coach. 
it's going to take an executive coach like like we have myself or um you know the coaches that I have at Angel Speaking and you, Mike you brought up an excellent point one of the one of my immediate hires that I did right after I launched uh the Ceiling Breakers coaching program after the book was I brought on LaDonna Wadley and LaDonna is a licensed certified mental health professional because people that are at the senior executive ranks, I would say senior manager, depending on how flat your organization is, senior manager, director, VP, that that space, uh, they need way more than just the technical training of the job. They they need some mental health support in terms of it might be imposter syndrome, it might be um, some trauma work trauma, corporate trauma from a past job. Um, There could be a lot of things from a mental health perspective dealing with depression and anxiety that is showing up at work. Uh, That is absolutely the case. And I've, she's been a tremendous asset because we, we, we really need her. We really pull on her a lot because a lot of those senior women, senior executives, men and women really um, are dealing with, like I said, depression, anxiety, uh, imposter syndrome. And the other one too is work, um, home work life continuum balance, whatever you want to call it, where most of the professionals we deal with, if not all are hybrid or work from home. And so the stress of having to, um, parent while working at this very high profile, um, high demanding job, requires new mental health coping skills that they've never had to do before. Mm -hmm. I think that that was super smart, Angel. I've, as somebody who's been in HR for a long time, and I've done a lot of executive coaching, there's been multiple times in my career where I've said, I don't actually think you need an executive coach. I think you should get a therapist. And not not to say like, I think you have an issue, but like the things that I think would help support you to show up more effectively, to feel more confident, to work through the imposter syndrome, to work through corporate America traumas, um, shame, guilt that have been built into our built into us at a very young age, stepping into corporate America that have been blockers for you. Um, you can't, I mean, maybe if you had the right executive coach who happened to have kind of that type of training, but I think those were likely few and far between. Um, so working with a, a trained therapist to work through those things, I think can honest sometimes be more powerful than a like an executive coach. So I think that that was really smart. And then I wanted to kind of double click on something that you talked about earlier and was kind of weaved through our conversation, going back to the kind of token, you know, whatever it is, token Being woman, only. token black person, the only mm-hmm. only individual, is that not only does it do all the things that you indicated in terms of putting pressure on that person, but depending on the, the culture and how much DE&I and belonging and inclusivity work has been done in tandem or before that person has moved into that role, I think also has a big impact on the success of that person. Because if you, if you're the token person that's been promoted and now you have all this responsibility, yet you have this culture that doesn't know how to support you, 
um, it, it's only um, perpetuating the the issues that exist and likely any of the work that that sponsor or others have done to get that token person into the role is going to fail because that person isn't going to feel successful or supported and then they're eventually going to leave. You got it. We I call it the revolving door and we've seen it time and time again. And the revolving door that we're seeing now is the revolving door of the chief diversity officer position. Yeah. So many came in at the height of George Floyd in May of 2020. And now, three years later, many have exited either on their own accord or a reduction in staff, a reduction in workforce. We're just going in a different direction. Uh, the one that we hear the most is, well, we, we want to decentralize. We no longer want to have a, a central point of a diversity office. We want to really get that down into the, the business units and the organizations. And it's like, okay, that sounds great. How are you going to do that? Oh, well, um, and no plan, right? Yeah. Yeah. So um, you're right. The revolving door absolutely happens. And unfortunately, it's happening at the highest level right now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know we kind of need to wrap up here. And I I mean, this this topic is such a meaty topic. Like we we could easily have you come back or build upon this for another hour. But one of the um, kind of North Stars that Mike and I always have as we're going into these episodes is what's you know, one one or two things that our listener could take away from the episode. And I think we've already shared a lot of incredible nuggets, but maybe if you could share one, maybe two at most examples of what that middle middle manager that maybe happens to be a white male um, could do today at work today to be an ally for um you know, their their females or their people of color that they work alongside either as peers or that report to them? Okay. Well, we didn't plan this, um, but I'm so excited that you asked me this question. Uh, this is a perfect way to end. Okay. So here's the exercise, y'all, for everybody that are listening, whether you're at Starbucks or you're in front of your laptop, this is what you're going to do. So without a napkin or without your um, phone or a piece of paper, and you're going to drive a box. And by the way, my my good friend Amy Wanniger, um, uh did this with a colleague of a mutual colleague of ours, and then and then he did it with me. So we're just passing the love on. So thank you, Amy, and we're just we're just going to keep it going. So the exercise is you're going to write down your top ten. Uh, your and when when I say top ten, the top ten people who are in your personal or professional network. Okay, and you're going to list their names from. Um, you know, Mike, Susie, Lindsay, right, all the way down. And what I say is these are the individuals who you would go to if you lost your job tomorrow and needed to get your resume out. These are the individuals that you would go to if you are late picking your kid up and you need somebody to run by the school and get them, right? So these, this is your close-knit group, personal and professional, 10 names. And then you're going to have columns to the right of these individuals' names, um, and the first column is going to be age. Now, here's the kicker with age, though. You're going to put a yes or a no in this column with age, but here's what you're going to put. If the person is 10 years older than you or 10 years younger than you, so there's got to be a decade uh, gap here, then you can put no. You can put an N to say, nope, they're not the same age as me. 
But if you're 40 and the person, Amy, is 45, you're going to put a yes. You're going to put a Y in that column because she's within 10 years of you. So that's age. The next column is going to be race or ethnicity, right? Is that person Caucasian, African-American? Um, do they, I have a good friend, she identifies as Greek. You know, what's their race or ethnicity, okay? Then you're going to put, um, the next column you're going to put um, their education. So do they have a degree, no degree, um, GED, uh, PhD, <laughs> right? What's their education? Um, then you're going to put um, yes or no. Do you know their lived experience? Meaning, are you close enough to them to where you know where they grew up? When I'm talking lived experience, I mean like what elementary school they went to, where they grew up, were they an army brat and moved around? Like, do you really know them? Okay. And then the last column is around diverse um, disability. Do you know if they have a disability? And it could be visual, like they're physically in a wheelchair, they physically walk with crutches, they're blind, um, they're wearing a special device for hearing, or it might be a neurodiversity disability that they just told, they disclose to you. So you just know about it. So yes or no. And you're just going to take, you're going to fill that whole chart out. And I recommend for you to take about a good, you know, walk away, get a cup, get it, you know, go get a latte, come back and then look at it at, at a micro level, really kind of physically kind of put put back and just kind of look to see where the patterns are like wow geez all these people are white or wow all these people have a degree right and just look at where you could personally diversify your network okay so for me for example my column one of my columns that was was not very diverse was in the degree space so all 10 of my people had some sort of degree, right, from a bachelor's, multiple bachelor's, multiple master's degrees, PhDs, MDs. And I'm like, holy smokes, man, my people are degreed up. I'm like, I wonder what it's like to try to navigate a work situation and you don't have a degree. You just have a high school diploma. I, I have no idea. Um and that led me down a path to where I'm now on the board of Family Promise of Greater Indianapolis, because I wanted to know what it was like to, to navigate the world where you don't have any education, right? Where you're really struggling, where your lived experience is um, housing insecurity. I don't have that. I, there's no one in my group at all. Everybody's got a house, a condo apartment. They're not couch surfing. So I'm now very immersed in the housing insecure population here in Indianapolis. Um, another group that I'm still actively working on is around, um, I I'm sorry, I don't think I even mentioned this one. One of the columns is sexual orientation. So everyone in my column was um, heterosexual. So I have no one in my group that's going to tell me what it's like to not come to work and not put your spouse's or your partner's photo up because they're the same sex as you and what that might mean for them. I have no idea what that experience is like. So uh, my good friend TJ and I were on a DE&I panel. We kind of connected and I was like, hey, you want to you go for coffee? Because you brought up a lot of points that I just don't know about. Like you, you have a whole lived experience of what it's like to navigate as a African-American homosexual male in this society. I have no clue. So I'm 
I'm like, I'm curious as to what your background is and how you got to do the work that you're doing. And he's like, yes, sure. And now he's one of my very good friends, right? So that's a way that you can be intentional about diversifying your network, getting through, busting through those barriers to get comfortable with somebody who doesn't have a lived experience as you, who has different identities than you. And that is going to directly translate into how you show up at work and in your professional life, because at some point you're going to start attracting people to you to where you become a safe person um, in terms of, hey, here's somebody I can talk to that I can relate to. You get referred to by other people from that. And it just it's it becomes a snowball effect. But you have to make the step in being intentional about diversifying your your network for people that that's an awesome exercise. I wrote all those boxes down. The, the one thing I'm wondering, if you do, like, like let's say somebody's like, I want to do this with, you know, 10 people on my team or something. Should they tell them all these boxes or should they start with put down your top 10 network? The reason I ask that is because I think some people, when they know what you're going for, right, they're going to throw maybe a few people on there that they wouldn't have put on if they didn't know what they're cheating you are that mike you you hit the nail on the head absolutely the first step is just tell them to write down their first 10 and don't say anything else yeah okay cool Mm -hmm. that's a really cool exercise Well, thank you, Angel. This has been um, a complete pleasure. Thank you for sharing your wisdom. I love, I can, your um, energy and passion around this, just like I can feel it through our team's screen. So um, I definitely think like you're living your purpose with the work that you're doing. So thank you for those that you're impacting. Thanks for those that you're impacted uh, by listening to our podcast today. And please share with our listeners where they can connect with you um, to learn more. Absolutely. So um, it is uh, email me at info at angelspeaking.com. That's two S's in the middle, uh, angelspeaking.com, uh, or just go to the website, www.angel-henry.com. Um, if you're looking for the book, right? If you're like, hey, this would be a great resource. Um, by all means, it's on Amazon. Um, so if you're an Amazon Prime member, free shipping. And um, I have absolutely had a few HR uh, folks here locally get the book for themselves and their team members. Uh, and um, and they, they shared it with their leadership team and kind of did a, a little group study on it. Uh, and so that's at dentsinthecealing.com uh, to get more information about the book. And there's a free uh, companion guide that goes with the book as well. Uh, and then those of you, again, that are in the HR or DEI space and you're really looking for some real support uh, that's that's going to uh, yield quick results and quick feedback for your leadership team. And you really want your your middle management leadership team to get the support through the angel through the, through the agile mindset framework um, that we provide please just reach out to info at angelspeaking.com and we will get you um, the the freebies, the checklists, the executive summary about why this is so important um, that we can have a, a discovery call on to see how we can um, tailor and customize it to support you and your your needs and objectives. And of course, um, uh, Jess, Mike, I'll, I'll send, send my information as well in that executive summary so it can be available in the show notes. 
Great. And then you're also out on LinkedIn at, is it L Angel Henry? I am. Yes, that's me. You found me. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Yes. And then Angel, you you had mentioned in the beginning that you had a webinar that was that you were going to do that we wanted to make sure people knew about so that they could attend if they wanted to. Absolutely. Thank you, Mike. I get so wrapped up in all this. I forget with all the projects that we've got going on. Yes. So specifically for HR and uh, chief diversity officers, I am um, having a webinar. I I think we've solidified the date. It's probably, I think it's going to be Tuesday, October 10th, if that is the Tuesday, second week of October. I'll, I'll say that. Um, and uh, we are actively putting that together now. I'm so excited. The registration page is in draft mode, so that's going to hit here soon. Um, When it does, those that are listening, you will get a 20% off code, and we are official um, SHRM recertification providers, so you'll get a little bit of Uh, continuing education credit if you come and listen to our 90-minute webinar on uh, how the the Agile Mindset Framework is applied to talent retention, the talent retention challenge that we have, right? I'm going going up here soon to speak to a a group of construction workers and the annual, the average uh, re, um, re turnover in that industry, in the construction industry, 65%. Um, so we have a shortage of uh, talented, trained individuals that can do um, can do the work. And it is, it is not going anywhere. It is absolutely a challenge for our HR partners. And so we want to help them with that. And, and the, the webinar is going to be all about how we can help. Great. Well, we'll definitely get that um, code from Angel and make sure we include it in our show notes. And um, thanks again, Angel. Appreciate you being a guest. And we look forward to getting feedback from our listeners on how much they enjoyed this episode as well. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me again. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to this episode of What the HR. If you want to hear more episodes like this, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever platform you're listening through now. If you enjoyed the podcast, do us a favor and share with your network, your boss, or your CEO. Help us get this podcast in front of anyone who wants to know what HR looks like when done well. Also, if you have any questions for show topics or people you'd like us to interview, please email Mike and I at podcast at tcsherm.org. That's podcast at tcsharm.org. If you want to find out more about Twin City Sherm or our upcoming events, please visit our website at tcsherm.org. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And finally, if you're not already a member of Twin City Sherm, please use code WHATTHEHR at checkout to receive $20 off your membership. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next episode. 